The brothers wish. The brothers wish, brothers wish. The brothers wish. The brothers. You're now listening to Greg. It's the brothers wish. Hey everybody, this is Greg with the brothers wish number 132. Coming at you hot. Coming hot. Coming in hot. Guns hot. All right. So let's uh let's get this stuff out of the way. We don't have any new patrons this go around. Which is always sad face, and that is thebrotherswist.com forward slash. Uh, or no, no, it's patreon.com forward slash thebrotherswist. That's what I'm talking about. You go in there, throw us a couple of bones, you get access to the patron only slacks. Come on, guys. Where are you at? I want to see some new faces. Yeah, I've been advertising on uh, Facebook and everything. <laughs> well, that's your problem right there. Yeah, there you see. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, let's see. What do we got? We do have some sponsors, and I think Tommy's going to read off our first one. Yeah, I, I called dibs on um, uh, the Brothers Wisp this week is brought to you by Sonar, a scalable, intuitive, and comprehensive ISP billing and operational support system. You can learn more at sonar.software and or listen to the podcast that uh, we just did with, or you guys did just did with him, and where he talks about the Microsoft Airband initiative that, that he was working on. So, cool yeah. guys. Take a look at him. For sure. And that was Tommy Krogan, right? Oh, yeah. Krogan? Yep. Not Krugan, Krogan. Yeah, and he's all the way from, uh, where are you at? Where you're in Snowy, uh, Colorado, Colorado, right? Yep, Snowy, Colorado, where we're getting, uh, we, we're closing in on two inches right now. Well, I'll take every inch I can. Yeah. Mikey, up in Chicago land, <laughs> which spots are you reading today? Um, I'll go with the Fitbit, the uh, indoor and outdoor 60 gigahertz kit that is just set it and forget it simple crazy feature set for the price with api deployment tools solid distance and up to eight clients per hub um, you can contact them on their website if you are interested in purchasing any of these products and uh i've i guess we also had a podcast with them uh last fall um yeah it was the justin miller and some guys from quickbit and uh Fiber slash wisp that uh, is using them. Yeah, old Denny's been uh, threatening us with a good time to do a podcast on tower coverage, and that is towercoverage.com. Tower coverage is your RF propagation system to empower your network, real-time data metrics, enable your coverage area, reaching your customer base, and more. The industry's best RF propagation mapping system allows website integration for custom sign-up and pre-qualification. Here's the best part. It uses this data to scientifically plan network expansion and help your WIS succeed. Get a free trial today at towercoverage.com. Science. Science. <laughs> you got to scream yeah. it. Maybe shake your fist to the heavens while you scream it. You know, it's all, I mean, it's all good. Any, any yeah. way you want to do it. I just, you know, it's just recommendations, folks. Just recommendations. Yeah, and it helps, helps you get your stuff taken care of. Use your brain. Do things easy. <laughs> All right, for sure. Let's uh, let's see. So, uh, I'll get my shameless plug out of the way. I started a new conversation podcast. I had mentioned it before, and I finally recorded season one. I've got uh, the first episode is up. <coughs> Excuse me. It's with Professor Tim Wilson. He's this uh, quite interesting character. Very um, eccentric. I guess is probably the the best way to put it. I found him from a British reality. TV show called The Circle season two, and I had a good time talking to that guy. But several other interesting faces that are on there. Hey, Tommy, try putting your other ear thingy on. I think I'm oh. hearing myself come back, uh, which 
you know, again, I do love hearing myself. I was just curious if perhaps that it, was what it was coming from. It, it, uh, I did just notice that I have two Skypes running. <sighs> Mikey, is this your fault somehow? So I don't know which one to close. Mikey. They are both Mikey. muted. How does that how does that happen that it allows you I to no connect idea. in twice? You're a technology guy, Mike. You're supposed to understand these things. Hey now. It's a technology uh, podcast. Let's see here. I've been on this one for twenty two minutes, this one for ten. Let's close the one with ten. Alright, let's see what happens. Drum roll. Alright. I'm, I'm only still using there. one Pice cat or one Skype now. All right. Huh? All right. C congratulations. We've survived it. So anyway, <laughs> if you guys are interested in listening to me ramble on actually in that one, uh, I almost can't get a, a word in edgewise. So it might be preferable for a lot of you folks, but it's pretty funny and uh, pop in there if you're so inclined. I figured, was it like uh, Ollie? He likes listening to weird stories from people all over the world. So maybe he'll be interested in that maybe I can get uh, I can get at least one listener. So I'm on board for that. But Let's move on to some of the actual interesting stuff. And I want to hear about Tommy's adventures with his CCR 2004 doing version 7.1. So you went you went beta on us, bro. Yeah. Um, I decided that I had a 2004 that was just sitting there. And I wanted to uh, try out V7 before I have to throw it into uh, the data center. So I, uh, I decided to set up BGP to... Uh, my home router, and then start it running, um, and make certain everything was all good, and then update to from v6 to v7, and just to get kind of an ID idea. Um, what I didn't realize before I posted was that the um, it didn't automatically reconnect, and what I ended up having to do was add in. Um, local address into the um, v7 bgp uh, peer config um, so that then it would then it could but then it connected um, I did lose my route filters um, and I wasn't able to get route filters working the microtik commands I like copied literally just copied and pasted them from the website into my terminal and I couldn't get them to work hmm. Um, and I played around with it for two hours this morning and then probably three or four hours, uh, like Tuesday evening. So I couldn't get it to talk, but I was able, I, I was able to get it to talk and pass routes. Um, I just couldn't filter anything. Um, so it's working. It's definitely different, but it, it's, it all kind of, once you just kind of decide to like, okay, take a step step back and just be like okay what are we trying to do here um it sort of makes sense um <laughs> unfortunately i've only ever done bgp on with microtik routers so i don't i'm not super familiar with how um just the different concepts um i was listening a while back to uh you guys talk with andrew um about uh v7's bgp config and how it's changed um, and he was saying like, Hey, you know, this is, this is definitely unique and different, but if you have some experience with other router vendors, you, you're going to have a little bit more familiarity and comfort, um, sometimes. Um, so it's all right. Uh, I'm not a, I, I, it's just something to learn. Um, and it's a different way of doing it. And it definitely, like I pushed, 
wasn't a lot of routes, maybe 40 routes to it. Um, and it just loaded those right up, but I'd kind of expect that from a 2004. So, um, I, I've yet to push full routes, but I know there are some people out there who are pushing full routes with a 2004 running V6. So it's definitely doable. Oh, actually, no, I are, I have a 2004 that's got two full routes going to it through over IBGP. Um, running that right now. Got to run into fun experiences with that this week as well. <laughs> so um, so on this one, you started with a, a base config that had BGP. <clears throat> you did the version 7 upgrade, and you let it kind of auto auto yeah. magic, auto do the conversion. and just So it looks like route filters are the, the one piece that didn't really carry over. Is that what you're saying? And yeah. you said something else. What was the something else? There's um, So you can control... Um, what your local you can set what your local address is going to be um, for the BGP peer because so oh, you have okay. templates which is mm -hmm. kind of the replacement for instances uh, and then you have um, I can't remember the the connect uh, connection which is kind of a replacement for peers not exactly they they definitely have differences and overlaps with how they work um, so, um, and really think of connections as, uh, templates as like, as really they are just like, uh, an overarching, like, Hey, these are settings that I want to be able to use across all of my BGP sessions. Um, and then you, in each of the connections, you can be like, ah, okay, I'm going to take this template and then you can make specific changes to that so that you have a connection. And then in there, one of them is local address my router didn't it didn't transfer that stuff over it maybe because i didn't i would i didn't have all that advanced or complete i mean it was a complete it worked um and then i downgraded it and it worked too but you just had to put the local address which is the ip address of your router of your v7 router connecting to um what the ip it's going to use to connect to the other one uh other mm -hmm. bgp peer so um, that was the only thing I ha had to screw around with, and uh, once I added that in, it started... Oh, that and um, connection and listening. By default, Microtik, when you set up a new peer, it um, is connect, it'll do connected and listening unless you hit passive, in which case then it just listens. Um, you do have to hit turn on connected and listening as well. That's another little gotcha for NV7 that I did find. Um, but I... Honestly, this is BGP, and there's obviously going to be changes with how everything's going to work because Microtix commands just like for the route filters, I copied and pasted them exactly, and I put in the same stuff. And um, you can add them into address lists. You can get the address list put into your router for um, what you want to advertise, and address lists become very, very important. Um, IPv4 and IPv6 for deciding, okay, hey, what's going to be sent. Um, which is really, really cool to me because address lists are really efficient. Um, but it's not uh, uh, the filtering portion um, just isn't... Uh, I couldn't get it working after a few hours, mm. even a few hours of goofing around with it. So, uh, I mean, it is a beta, right? So you'd expect yeah. holes in it. Yeah. So were you doing this just for funsies, just to see what would happen? Yeah, I was debating if I wanted to try running beta code on a router in the data center just because there isn't anything <laughs> terribly important. Um, but I was like, ah, I can't get route filters to work. I shouldn't just hook something up that's not filtering anything of what it's saying. 
to the broader internet. Yeah, no. So I, I downgraded <laughs> it, and I've been configuring that um, today. But right. Nice. Yeah. While we're talking about uh, Microtech shenanigans, I figured I would uh, talk about uh, my uh, <laughs> my recent. I mean, there's there's other stuff we could talk about, oh, but God. I really want to um, admit. Um, real questions. It would connect more to what Tommy was saying. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I believe I mentioned this in a previous cast, but it would be nice if Microtech put like a website together that would you drop your V6 configuration in. And it tells you what the V7 configuration would be. Like, on a website versus loading it into a router and then upgrading. Oh, and then having to do it to convert. So you want to just do it and then start with just a clean slate router and load your configs in? Right, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, and... But I'm not looking at it to be, a, oh, I don't want to learn the new way. Let me dump in what I know and then just copy and paste. I just think it'd be... Like it's, it would be another tool for someone to learn the new way of doing something versus looking through, ex you know, all to me, manual pages, they tell you everything, but they tell you nothing. It's like, I, I know every option, but I don't know how to use the options. Um, if I could drop in my V6 config and it says, okay, here's what you would do in V7. And then you can compare and, oh, okay, that's. That's how this actually works. You know, I have the manual here. The manual says these are my options. Here I see how it would actually work. Um, I mean, I can't imagine that would take very long to put together because they already do it. You know, you know, a script exists to convert it when you're doing an upgrade. Apparently there might be some bugs. Um, but, you know, most of the work's already there. Just put it on a website. And, and let me just play around with stuff. You know, how, how would this work? How would that work? You know, just another tool to learn a new way of doing it. Well, I guess you could also, um, in lieu of having a website, you could spin up a CHR and put a config in there and upgrade that thing. Let it, uh, let it do its magic, see what happens. You could. I mean, you know, like there's ways of doing it. It just seems yeah. like, you know, a website would be easier. Yeah, for the if the people to use, um, I feel I feel like Microtech would just say, well, but you can do it with X and Y, you know, yeah. the the couple different routes that we just suggested, and they'd be like, well, why in the world do you want to do it that way? Because I do. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and I I actually like your suggestion. It would it helps me to fiddle with things and play with things and know that I can't break things when I'm fiddling and breaking things. Says the guy who wanted to put version 7.1 beta in the data center. I was debating it. <laughs> the difference. Right. <laughs> uh, luckily that, hopefully that debate, I should say, didn't, didn't take you very long to, uh, to come to a decision on. So, well, yeah, I am you, running you made the right one. I think. Okay. All right. <laughs> I am running it. I am running it already in my uh, network, not really for production stuff, but for a, a VPN stuff and uh, a BGP black hole. I was like, man, I don't care if black hole. Yeah, I want that to advertise anything I tell it to. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're braver than me. That's all I can say, Tommy. 
definitely braver than I am. So, time uh, time for uh, I'm gonna do one of Mike's patented rants, but it's it's a Greg version, so it's probably not as loud and boisterous. But here recently, so I've got an MDU, and I've got a CCR on the edge. Works great. I love those things. Uh, that connects to a CRS 317, right? So it's in their flagship three series, and it is the 16 port, 10 gig uh, switch, right? Cloud router switch. And then all of my edge switches are CRS 328s, which are the 24 port PoE guys. So that had mostly been running well until just recently I got a phone call, like a support call. <clears throat> this guy was saying that uh, there's a game called Escape from Tarkov. And he was like, I, you know, I'm playing this game and it keeps like, uh, like bugging out on me. I can't figure out what's going on. You know, it seems like it's like a network related thing. So. I was like, all right, let me start looking into it. And about an hour later, you know, I had to go on to something else. And about an hour later, I get a phone call and some guy saying, hey, yeah, you know, I'm having problems getting to uh, get into these games as well as like my Zoom calls for school keep like locking up or like freezing up. And I was like, oh, that's weird. So I looked at their room numbers and they both hung off the same switch. So I jumped into that switch and I took a look at the log and I saw the SFP plus interface going back to the core going ham i mean it was like the log was full of link flaps and so i went into the interface and i looked at the receive side and i was incrementing fcs errors on that uh that sfp plus interface on the 317 you know as it came in it was incrementing fcs errors and it was just rolling errors like crazy i connected to the 328 the edge switch uh and that guy he was incrementing errors coming in and both of them were seeing link flaps like like bonkers like it was up for five days and there was like 4100 link flaps on that thing so i mean it was just it was just constant that and and you know in conjunction with the errors so i started investigating the other uh interfaces on that core switch and they were all showing fcs errors and they were all showing link flaps obviously not as bad as that one otherwise i would have been getting a lot more calls um so the first thing i thought well i was like well you know the other ones they aren't going I mean, they aren't doing too bad, so maybe it's just a hardware problem. So I went out there and I changed out the SFPs one at a time, nothing. I changed out the patch cables one at a time, nothing. I changed out the uh, fiber that went in between the, the IDF and the MDF there, nothing changed. I then upgraded to the newest long-term version of code on them because they were a little bit older and nothing, nothing changed. So I said, you know what? I need to change out that core switch, that 317. Obviously, there's something wrong with it because it's the one incrementing FCS on all the interfaces. I feel like it's the single point that's probably problematic. So what I did is I went to eBay and I ordered me a nice Cisco Nexus 3064. That's 48 port, uh, 10 gig switch by Cisco 1U. It's really good, solid. I've used it plenty of times, very successfully. And so I started doing some digging on the forums, the Microtik forums, and I saw where some folks were saying, well, I mean, some of this was in in conjunction with DAT cables. They were saying, you know, they were having link problems specifically between the 317 and 328. And then I saw some where people were saying just optical, they were having link flap issues between those two devices specifically. Um, somebody was suggesting that they sent one off for repair and that seemed to have fixed it. Um, so I don't know if that was in like specifically talking about the DAC stuff or this optical problem, but I submitted a support ticket to Microtik. And, and from what I could find on the forums, this is something of a known issue to some degree. And uh, they sent me back a message that said, 
Lately, we've been testing new SFP Plus signal adjustments for the 300 series switches, uh, and they have given improvements regarding link stability. Can you please upgrade all of your switches to the beta version, uh, the new, the newest beta version? To which, in my head, I said, uh, no, I'm not going to run uh, beta code across all of my stuff. For one, I'm just not sure what other errors that would introduce. But two, the site is two and a half hours away from me. So if anything went wrong, it's like it's not easy for me to just pop over and troubleshoot and stuff. So I configured the 3064. I whacked that together really fast. I mean, it doesn't take much to get those things in order. And I gave it to one of my guys. He drove it down there day of. He slopped in the new 317 and it immediately had the exact same problem. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to upgrade it to the beta code just to see what do. And uh, while he went out to the car to grab the, the 3064, I went ahead and upgraded to beta on um, you know the router OS and the router board firmware as well. And it did make an improvement, but it was still link flapping and it was still incrementing FCS and errors. So I was like, obviously this didn't fix the problem. Uh, so then I had him pull that switch throw in the Cisco 3064 and it immediately cleaned up. Clears, I mean, just running perfectly. It's been running for uh, about a day and a half. Yeah, somewhere around 35 hours, something like that. And I haven't had a single error, nothing FCS, no interface flaps. It's just running perfect, you know? And I'm, I'm pushing, you know, on average, I think, somewhere between two and 500 megabits out of that complex and you know not a single peep everything's just been smooth sailing so i'm not 100 percent sure what is going on between the 317 and the 328 i know the link between my 317 and my ccr is 10 gig sfp same make model and that was running flawlessly right to the routers i know nick was saying that he has like 70 of those out but he's got them going into 4011s at Towers, and he said those are running fine too. So there's some voodoo between the 317 and the 328 where it is, I mean, I guess it's just problematic and somewhat of a known issue. I just wish that was published a little bit more clearly uh, so that I knew not to use that, that combination, at least until they figure out whatever the problem is. Um, so I was fairly aggravated. Uh, you know, I don't know, man, like when stuff is like, it could be a multitude of things that are wrong. That gives me a lot of anxiety. I'm sitting over here trying to figure it out, you know, back and forth. Um, but I was glad to get to a resolution. So if you guys are out there in the field and you are planning on doing some 328s or you're having issues between your 328s and your 317s, maybe try swapping out that 317 for something else. And uh, you're probably going to have a better time. Yeah, the 328s have been working really well for me as edge switches, right? Doing the PoE, I'm powering a whole bunch of HAP AC squareds and they're loving it. I'm powering like some uh, access control hubs, had zero problems with any of that infrastructure. It's really just 10 gig back to the 317 that I've had problems with. So word to the wise. That, uh, that, uh, I was looking at getting uh, a 328 for my house, but, um, I ended up going with uh, a 326 and then a Unify switch with PoE. Um, hmm. I, th I think the overall price ended up being cheaper. Um, 
it, you know, and I only needed a few PoE. I didn't need all of them to be PoE, so that it, uh, you know, I wasn't really looking forward to adding a Unify switch to this network, but um, just cost-wise, it just ended up being being what I had to do. Price-wise, how much difference was it? Like hundred bucks? Something like that. Uh, I mean, it, it was probably six months ago when I bought it. Um, okay. But, um, but you say know, in the there's... grand scheme of things, for a single switch, hundred bucks that's not that big a difference. I think I would have just went with whatever I wanted to use. Why are you being so yeah. cheap, Mike? Because I am cheap. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. So, <clears throat> ironically, on that six point forty nine beta twenty two, which they were telling me to upgrade, that they made those improvements. I saw somebody else post in the chat that their CCR two thousand fours supposedly have some stability improvements in that beta code that a lot of folks have been told to switch to that when it says switch improved resource allocation on and it's got the chipset number for the CCR 2004s it, uh, saying which, something about packet loss if you get over like two to three gigs on the thing you'll start getting packet loss on the 2004s and this supposedly helps with that what were you going to say Mike? Oh, I was going to say it was like which it sounds like from the description that, that that's not really like at face value. That doesn't seem to be like what a lot of people's problems with the 2004 is. <laughs> but I mean, you could see where, you know, where a resource allocation issue could cause other problems, you know, you know, maybe, you know, I mean, you live, uh, you went on to say packet loss, but you know, resource allocation issues could cause reboots. So, I guess it depends on what upon which resources are having allocation issues and and how they manifest themselves. Yeah, I think somebody was saying on Facebook that it's the resource allocation to the SFP twenty eights um, versus the ten gig interfaces. There's the. Uh, 25 gig link to a switch chip or 50 gig link to a switch chip or something like that and there's resource allocations in that that they changed up i think that was kevin myers yeah posted on facebook about that says, most of the issues that have been observed related to use of the 10 gig ports and not the 25 gig ports is what they're saying Mm-hmm. yeah so hopefully um <clears throat> you know you get some solutions to that they were also saying if you were running one gig in your 10 gig ports, um, that that can be a source of issues. But I've been doing that on my 2004 since we started running that three, four months ago. Um, admittedly, it's not passing a significant amount of traffic, um, just some management and some other stuff. Um, and then like bandwidth tests. But I've never had that thing reboot on me. Um, and the only times I, it's rebooted has been when I've been like, oh, well, I'll just try out some of the other code just to see what happens. Um, it's not really running a significant portion of my network right now or yet. So um, here soon, though, it will be. That's going to be fun when that starts throwing a fit when I actually run a boatload of traffic across it. <laughs> you know, what's funny is the... The 317, so I've got a lab here with a couple of 328s in it, and I brought that, that new one that I got, and I put it in here, and I tried to jam as much traffic as I could through it, right? like actually through the switches, 
and I wasn't getting any problems. It was not until I put it out there at the site and I guess I had, you know, eight different 10 gig switches all pumping traffic through it. Not that it was, I mean, all of it was less than 500 megabits, um, but something, the conditions were just right. I'm not exactly sure what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, seeing, you know, on the internet, whether it's, it's Facebook or forums or even on, even on our own Slack, um, talking about, you know, 2004 issues and, uh, and 1072 issues, you know, you've got people that, you know, I've deployed them 30 times and I never have had a problem with any of them. You have people that's like, I've deployed 30 and all 30 had problems. And you can say, you know, there's a guy saying, you know, I, you know, somebody says it's connection tracking, you know, I get to 5,000 connections and it stops working. Somebody else says, well, you know, I'm running a million through it. And that's when it stopped working. And then somebody says, it's a one gig SFP. It's the problem. Tommy's been running one gig SFPs and they're not problems. You know, <laughs> so, so it's just like, you know, there's so many. And, you know, there's just so much, so many anecdotes as to what the problems are. And then somebody counters say, well, I've got, way more than that and there's no problem it's just just confusing and i'm sure for the you know for the developers trying to troubleshoot this it's equally confusing because they're you know it's like well what what is the problem or you know or likely there's multiple problems manifesting themselves different ways and it's yeah and i just can't imagine trying to be in their shoes trying to figure out which of you know, you know, because you know, those 1072s about there for a long time, lots of people using them a long time, and others say, you know, it, you know, I add OSPF and it stops working, you know, or I don't, and it, you know, just all these, yeah, all this conflicting information, yeah, or like, what if it's an issue you can only reproduce out in the field, you can't actually reproduce it in your lab, which is the problem I was having, you know, it's like, how's Microtik going to work on that? Because I'm not going to let them hack away at my active network where people are upset. You know, I, I can't. It, I just uh, can't do that. It um, actually did give them uh, access to one of my routers um, to look at a bug, and then and then I didn't hear back from them. Um, I'm not sure if they're still doing anything with it or not. Uh, but the other peer decided that they no longer wish to have that session. So, <laughs> not sure what we're going to accomplish. <laughs> Uh, so, and I do appreciate like people reporting, even though it's like super weird. Cause like Greg mentioned that he was having, um, SFP errors or, or FCS errors on his 300 series switch. And people had mentioned that there was possibly some fixes. And, uh, I just set up a 305 and, uh, I was looking this morning and I saw, oh, Hey, look, there's a boatload of FCS errors on it. And I'm way different situation. I'm running some probably sketchy ethernet cables between it and the router that i'm have it talking to and i've got bonded ports and such like that and copper to sfp plus so there's probably issues with that as well but uh um, i did try updating to 6481 and that seems to and i'm still getting fcs errors and rx code errors on it so uh we'll see i'll try running the beta because i don't care 
because um, <clears throat> it's not talking to anything right now, and eventually when it will start talking to stuff, I will want it, oh, hello kitty, uh, I will want it to uh, work great, because I'm going to have most of my internet running through this bloody little thing, so... <laughs> We'll definitely want that. Yep, three link downs in the last uh, five minutes. So not going to be useful. Let's try beta code. Are you passing traffic to that thing? No. Okay, so it's just sitting there and it's incrementing. Yeah, I got the idea of burning in stuff from you. And uh, that's actually a really <laughs> yeah. good idea. Just let it sit. Let it do its thing for a couple days. See if anything just randomly breaks. Yeah. Well, I have a long track record of buying stuff off of eBay. So <laughs> usually I want to see, is it going to just completely crash over uh, after being online for a few days? So sometimes the answer would be yes, but not very often. Usually it would just work. But, yeah. Uh, see, now I just have a really trouble. long track record of buying something and then letting it sit for a few months before it actually gets to whatever project it needs to be used for. Um, months. <laughs> yeah. Months, you noob. I've got things I've bought that... <laughs> I've had them for years and I haven't deployed them yet. I am a pleb to you, Mike. It, uh, it, uh, I, I have a whole, a, a whole site that I was going to recable. I was going to move it from an RB seven fifty up to, I think a thirty eleven is what I was going to go to. I, I bought all the packet flux, PUE injectors, and you know, DC power supplies and batteries and all kinds of stuff and. It, Bought a new case to put it in because I was just using like those little like one foot by one foot PVC things, which is fine for a, a 750. But when I build something up more substantial, I need a bigger box. Uh, I think I've had it so long that I need to go buy a new battery because I'm sure the battery is shot by now. Um, yeah, I've I've had uh, some of the Ubiquity Air Prisms to deploy since they were potentially new to the market type thing and haven't deployed them yet <laughs> not because i don't want to it's just just haven't gotten to it uh i guess i made it worse now because i just bought yesterday i just bought nine more b5c's um hopefully those don't just sit in the box for a while hmm. you may have a problem like I have a problem of, yes, I have problems and I need to fix them, and then I don't. So, which is a problem. <laughs> uh, good times. Well, you guys want to take a look at the um, Microtech newsletter number 99? Oh, yeah, dude. I was so excited seeing that come through. <laughs> it seems like it's been a little while, but I assume they... Maybe I was just underwhelmed on the last one. Yeah, the last one was... Nah. But... I mean, this one was this one was a little bit more interesting. I I'm definitely excited about the um, SFP28 module. It's like ooh, ooh. 150 bucks oh, is yeah. a little hard. Is is a little yeah, bit of a well, big pill to swallow, but they're saying it's combination. Yeah, uh, which means it'll do it'll basically do one gig, 10 gig, or 25 gig all in the same module. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's handy dandy. You can just have a very expensive module that you can always carry around with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because right now, like, if I go to Fiber Store, I can pick up SFP Plus modules for like, I think like twenty two bucks or something, and I bet I could get a standard SFP one for probably like ten dollars. So, 
let me double I would check say here. Use that in emergency scenarios. I, I definitely wouldn't say use that for one gig, like on the reg, because that seems crazy. Yeah, uh, I just bought uh, from Fiber Store uh, 10 gig SFP uh, module that was what 50 bucks, I think, for both sides. 100 kilometer. Let's see what the 100 kilometer is here. Oh, okay. Yes. The last ones. Last ones I bought were like 200 meter. Oh. Yeah, okay. All right. They're a little bit more expensive. They're 600 bucks, but still, like, I mean, at that price. It, it um, yeah. Uh, so I just checked, uh, Fiber Store generic 10 gig, uh, LR, 13.10, 10 kilometer. It's 27 bucks. Mm -hmm. Um. And then they have a dual rate one, which will do one gig or ten gig. Also twenty seven weeks. Nice. Um, <laughs> uh, but they did uh, did not report any tri speed ones. Uh, so I don't really have much to compare that to. Yeah, I didn't realize you could with FS. I guess if it's all the same form factor, somebody could figure it out. It um, yeah, uh, and so it looks like the standard uh, twenty kilometer, one gigs are eight bucks. So it's like, you know, I had looked at uh, like for our IX, I was like, why don't we just only buy the dual rate ones, do ten gigs? Is it worth twenty dollars to send somebody to swap an SFP? No. <laughs> so it's just. Put in the bigger one, and you know, someone upgrades or needs something different. You know, like I'm assuming that you, that you could do a you know shut, you know, change the port speed and then new shut, and it comes back. I'm assuming it's not a a physical swap. Yeah, level so switch. That, yeah, you know, if so, then that kind of defeats the purpose of doing it remotely. But that's why you have smart hands. Day. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say, I can still remember a day when, like, 10 gig interfaces were astronomically expensive. And now we're saying that they're basically disposable at, like, you know, 25 bucks a piece. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't I, know how it, times have changed. It, uh, well, I bet, I bet that, that if you were to ask your Cisco rep what they would charge for their 10 gig, uh, <laughs> 10 kilometer, it's probably still 1400 bucks. Oh, yeah, it is. I got a quote from them last year. About uh, one, it was forty kilometer ten gig optics, and it was like sixteen hundred bucks or something like that. I was like, "Oh wow, you're serious!" I, I yeah. thought you were joking. No, no, it was like sixteen or something. Um, it was like, why is it so expensive? Like, there's half a dozen companies selling these for under a hundred bucks. I mean, I, I could see Cisco being. Three times is expensive, but ten times? I mean, I guess I guess I just haven't had to swallow the uh, Cisco uh, load yet. So. Well, I mean, I the fiber store, all the objects I get off a of fiber store are coded for Cisco. That's the stuff I use. That way, because I know it works flawlessly in Microtik, and uh, if I do want to switch it out for a Cisco switch, you know, like I ended up doing, I use the exact same optics, slam them in, and I'm good to go. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, one time I called FiberStore about getting optics coded for Microtik, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's just generic. 
you can run whatever you want in it. It doesn't care. Okay, cool. Yeah. Can I get it coded for Microtech? Yeah. Cool. Put the little MK on it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, cool. I, I, we're 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 using them, and we've got their temperature hardened ones, and they're working just fine, actually. Um, been pretty happy with them so far. So nice. So let's see, uh, what else do we have on here? Looking at the newsletter, they've got RBGESP surge protector. It looks like just uh, what a gigabit. Ethernet surge protector. Looks like it's weather rated. What is this? IP67? I mean, it's clean looking little surge protector. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll probably debate whether if I want to use those moving forward. Um, yeah, it's simple, straightforward. It's simple. It's kind of cheap feely looking. But as long as it does what it does, nah, who cares? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it looks like a simple solution. <clears throat> and it's IP67. People are always debating. All, people are always debating on which ones are the best, right? So yeah. Yeah. And you, you, you got another one to get in there and try with. Yeah. Oh, the, there's the diehards who will, who won't use it because they have their three hundred dollar, uh, surge protectors on their fifty dollar radio. It's like, okay, have fun. And honestly, for the ubiquities, we've we've use the uh, ubiquity the little white surge protector thing on those oh yeah a couple different towers and it's like eh, you know sure the rocket prisms they're like 200 bucks 250 bucks for for one but i mean honestly in this time that i've i've been working for this company for almost four years now and we've lost one radio and it probably wasn't to lightning one rocket it wasn't to lightning it was a drop um we were moving it around and slid out of the holder and dropped down so um you know 200 feet drop is not something you can really build around so <laughs> I, I don't blame ubiquity for that one so yeah but we don't have a lot of lightning and um surge issues um, on our tower sites, too bad. And we ground the heck out of everything else. And you put surge bars up at the top and at the bottom and bind all your ground points together. Um, do everything the Natonics guy says. And then uh, kill, <laughs> uh, sacrifice a cute rabbit to the lightning gods, and you'll be fine. Excellent. Well, you heard it here first. Tommy's keen to help you out with that. Uh, let's see. Was let's it Motorola R57 or something? 61? 56. 50, all right. Well, I got close. So that's, that is actually the go-to document for that stuff. Um, not that I really read it very much. Transition. <laughs> Come on. Oh, my God. What? what? Are, are, what did I miss? Is anyone here not interested in the not? Oh. Uh... <laughs> uh <laughs> I mean, I didn't mean to say it like that. Uh, you know, it's got potential. I just don't have any immediate use cases for it. But yeah, they yeah they talked about. So we had sort of mentioned the chateau and the knot before, and uh, yeah, here they are saying the knot's going to be a hundred bucks, which I guess for what it's doing, that's actually a pretty fair price. Mm -hmm. I think that before when we talked about, it, we didn't really know how much it was going to be, and it seems pretty uh, pretty not bad. Yeah, I mean. 
the guys who kind of are doing small little bits of IoT stuff seem to really, um, Colin, I think, was, was pretty interested in it. Um, the GPIO is actually really interesting to me. Um, yeah, they're saying onboard GPIO, but I don't see any orifices on the side of this thing for the cables to come out. Unless, am I missing them? Uh, is it maybe just above the Modbus connector or something? Maybe. Maybe it's on the back side of it. They got antennas on the back side. It'd have to yeah. be on one of the corners then. I don't know. I'm looking at a picture. I don't really yeah. see. Well, I see, I see what almost maybe looks like vent holes, but maybe you're supposed to run your GPIO uh, out of those little slots. Yeah. Maybe. I I don't know, but DIY, you just drill a hole in the side of it. You're good to go. Wouldn't be the first time I've done it for Microtik. <laughs> I, yeah, I drilled a hole to put a uh, a safety cable on like 135 radios. I was not happy at the end of that adventure. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it comes with GP, uh, with Bluetooth and a bunch of other like nifty little. You can hook up to SIM slot, yellow SIM, and I mean, it's got basically all sorts of connectivity options. So, I mean. If you're wanting to do low-cost tracking or just data collection, that's a interesting at the very least, in my opinion. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, it, yeah, yeah, it just I mean, doesn't fit any of my form factors. Yeah, I don't have any immediate uses. But I mean, like, well, how would a Wisp use this? They could use it. Um, they could use that as a tower site because I guess uh, the GPIO you could probably tie in sensors for like, uh, you know, um, water contacts for like is the door open? Yeah, water sensor temperature. Um, yeah, for sure temperature. What else? If you it, could probably monitor voltages on uh, battery banks. Like if you got a battery backup, you could probably yeah put a little probe on there. I mean, yeah, you know, there's you could probably have it do a lot of different stuff for you yeah and depending on the flexibility and i i don't know much about general purpose io but i seem to recall there were guys who built like whole serial uh console deals um so you could use it as like a console uh connection if you had some sort of device that you didn't want to put a full um like was that open system or something like that that has the console that's network connected is a really popular guys. There's there's a company out there, but you know if you could just hook this up to your batteries and you know something else that's a monitoring, like that's actually kind of handy to me. Uh, and then it has you know you plug this into your router, another port into your switch, your backhaul switch or whatever, and that gives you emergency connectivity to multiple devices really really easily. And um, you know that's that's super helpful um in a lot of different situations for keeping you know getting back into your stuff if something throws its guts all over the place hmm. so i'm looking at uh all i can all i can think about is slide nine on this thing like this is just as curious to me Microtik joins sdvoe alliance and it's some kind of video over ethernet alliance and I'm wondering why I should care about this. They dedicated a whole page to it, so it must be something important, right? Yeah. I wonder how much it costs yeah. to do that. Software-defined video over Ethernet. It's a 
I know that just from the the you know kind of light brushings I've had with the you know with the you know network to AV industry you know at the professional level not the home level but like it is so difficult there are such stringent requirements for the equipment and protocols and you know HCLs <laughs> to make this stuff work and I think a lot of it is because despite being a network centric product, the network almost seems to be an infrathought. Like they don't hire people that really know what they're doing on the network side. So it's like they find one way it works and then that's the only way we're gonna support. So that you know so you see people buying this bizarre equipment because they only tested it within a Huawei model five seven six switch and so that's what you buy. Um, and so that industry does seem ripe for a bit more modernization, a bit more competition, a bit more, okay, you, you know, you don't have to have this buggy, multicast, complicated process to work. Um, so maybe that's what this alliance is aiming to do is, okay, let's let's fix this networked AV ecosystem and Microtech's trying to get in on it hmm. now i never heard of it before now so i don't know how big or important it is but you know i'm not in that space every day so i it's probably i don't know hmm. fair enough so you're saying there's no immediate reason i should really care about this, this is going to be for other people greg you should always care about it <laughs> For sure. All right, Mikey, you ready for uh, round one of Mike versus Ransomware? Well, I did add a couple things ahead of that. As I was, oh, my bad. As I was going through here. Because um, that one, these other ones are a bit more defined of a topic. All right, what do um, you got? So uh, something caused me, uh, oh, as we were talking about the uh, 25 gig stuff and the you know multi-speed uh, SFPs, I was poking around on FiberStore's website, um, and I saw that uh, they have a 100G-FR. I'm like, I've heard of SR, LR, ER, ZR, never FR. So I looked it up, and that is... So, like, the original 100 gigs were 10... 10 gig wavelengths going between, you know, 100 gig modules. Then when 25 gig came out, then it's four 25 gig wavelengths going between modules. 100 gig FR is a single wavelength, 100 gig. Hmm. Um, so it's a lot less complicated of a receiver uh, and transmitter. Oddly enough, it costs twice as much. Um, so... <laughs> Simplification means it's more expensive. No, it's um, I guess I guess just because it's only you know it, it's new. It appears to be like all the Cisco and Juniper stuff was out on it was out last year, mm. um. And so I was inviting feedback from our community if anybody can tell us a bit more about it because so far it seems like a, it doesn't have a home. You know, it's only good for two kilometers, so it's not really you know even the other fiber store. 100 gig stuff, I think you can get 10, possibly even 40 kilometers. 
Um, and so why should I care? I mean, like, I get that, like, it's taken advantage of 400 gig technology. I guess 400 gig is for 100 gigs, but it's like, why do I care? Like, it costs me twice as much. I still have the same cable going between. I mean, why am I kidding? Wouldn't um, it be useful in situations where if you were trying to multiplex signals across a single fiber? Sure. But, so if they made a WDM version of this where you could choose which channel it was on and you could stuff it yeah. into any passive wave platform, yeah, then it'd great. Be I, it'd be useful and I would buy some. Um, I'd buy some right now. Um, but, um, but what's out so far is not, it's just regular. Now I get stepping stones, but it's like, right at this, at, at this point, why should I care? Yeah. Um, I, and fortunately Cisco and Juniper and all of them don't really sell me as to why I should care other than saying it's just one quarter of 400 gig. Is that your selling point? Like it's, you're, you're you know, you know, I'm a mini Corvette, you know, I'm a mini Porsche. Like that's, that's why you should buy me. Like, I mean, I so. guess if you were wanting to like play, run a hundred gig system across uh, something that was running other signals, um, and you wanted to make, have less chance of things interplaying, it could be a benefit to you, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Eh. Hopefully we have some people out there that are smarter than we are about these things and can tell us. Um, or at least people. Who, was just, at least what was pe- that? At least people who run, uh, you know, uh, hundred gig ports frequently, unlike me and probably a few of us here. I don't know. I actually, uh, make you do that all the time, don't you? It. Uh, I look at equipment that has them. Uh, yeah um i actually do have some gear that has 100 gig ports uh and hopefully so we'll be using them well as 100 gig uh we're using them as 40 gigs right now but for a couple things um but so then on to my next little quick thing i come up with is just kind of a psa um if you are playing with uh microtech chrs Make sure that one of the first thing you you do so that you do not forget is you license that CHR so that you don't spend a day troubleshooting why your um, virtualization platforms you just can't build VMs t- like doing updates is just dreadfully slow. You're only getting a, a meg, meg and a half on some on some VMs, but then other ones are fine. And you just can't figure it out. And you spend a whole day, not a whole day, but a few hours during the course of a day building spreadsheets of iperf tests. This host to this host. This type of VM, this type of VM. Now go back. You know, VM to VM, container to container, container to VM, VM to container. You know, all, all these combinations back and forth. And you're like, but wait, these other ones work just fine. I just did a speedtest.net test of, you know, 800 megs on this, on this server. <laughs> so that, what? <laughs> Wait uh, a minute. Yeah. What, what would limit me to, like, so it's not the servers, 
It's not the switches. It's, it's not the rest of the network. Oh, all the ones that are slow are on the new router. I bet it's not licensed. Hmm. And it wasn't. That's not so, the first time that's happened. <laughs> not the first time it's happened and it to me. it won't be the last, Mikey. <laughs> um, so I've, I figured I'd remind everyone, um, because it's now happened to me at least twice. Um, <laughs> but, um, and so the cost of was it ninety five dollars to for the ten gig license? Uh, paled in comparison to the amount of time I spent speed testing between VMs and hosts trying to figure out why they weren't very fast. Because um, <laughs> most of them were fine. Most of them, if it didn't go through the router, they were you know rocking at nine point seven gigs or or you know eighteen point whatever gigs or you know if it's on the same host. You know, I was getting 25, 26, 27 gigs in between, you know, two VMs on the same host. Yet, downloads only worked at one gig. Yeah, I had somebody who was, <laughs> um, they were in Panama, I think, or they're somewhere in South America, and they had a, a CHR set up over here to proxy web traffic through or something like that. And he was like, man, for whatever reason, I can only get a meg through. I was like, hmm, that's curious. Did you license it? Uh, let me go look. Oh yeah, that fixed it. Thanks. Well, yeah, so it's it's definitely not uncommon. It happens to happens to the best of us. I'm glad it's Yet, uh, I'm glad it's one megabit per second. Then you like it's like such a clear indicator. It's like oh, you're only getting traffic at 100 around 99 megabits per second. Oh, okay. Let's take a look at this. Somewhere you have an it's Ethernet a, problem. It's a well, it's 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 not always a hard one meg. It's a one meg ish, because mm -hmm. I, I was I was doing downloads at 150, 160 kilobytes per second. So I was like, well, it's not one meg, so I can't, you know, that can't, you know, it's just moving on. It's you know making some change. It's like you know, it's like you know, is like so, somehow are we routing through a data T1 somewhere on the internet still? <laughs> like what's going on here? So. Microtech, think of a way to put a warning on, hey, your CHR is not licensed. <laughs> uh, like, you know, make the background of Winbox red, says, you know, not licensed. Something to remind me that I need to give you money. Like like um, Proxmox every time you log in or try to do updates? Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, and then I actually intend to buy support for Proxmox because it's so cheap. It's just I don't have time. Hmm. Right now, um, but I will. Isn't that why you buy support? Well, but I haven't <laughs> had a problem. Like I've, I don't know that I've ever really had a problem with Proxbox not working. Oh yeah, no. It's... So, I mean, so it's like, so like, I don't need to buy support because from an operation, like, it just works. I'd be buying support to you know some cheap insurance, but then also like here, you know, here's some money for this awesome project um i was talking about things that i you know clear and concise and not rambling and here we are talking about proxmox it's not even no. on my list um uh, next item for border route reflector etc um so i was already in the middle of rebuilding my routing infrastructure as i was moving to a new virtualization environment and new 
switches and everything um, at this one company. Um, some other things, which we'll talk about later, have accelerated some of these works. Um, but um, before it was just kind of a slapped it up. Okay, I've I've got you know I want two borders because I want you know one on each post, so I've got some physical redundancy. Um, yeah, right now I'm just actually using one core. You so both of those go back to just one core because I never took the time to get a second one networked in, and the existing network kind of sucks for adding a second anyway. Um, and one of the problems I was facing before I've completed my migration was one of my peers uh, on one of the exchanges kept uh, dropping my, my BGP session. And of course, it took them a long, you know, they won't readily admit that it's a max prefix issue, but clearly the router is sending back a prefix limit reached error. Um, and then a later packet capture shows me sending far more than the one prefix I should be sending uh, through my CHR. And uh, there's probably many of you that uh, aren't have have experienced where uh, microtech route filters don't exactly do what you want. Um, in this particular case, it was a route filter that was already built and completely functional on 15 or 20 other BGP sessions. Because, um, <laughs> you know, I just use the same route filter for every peer that's on the same exchange. Yet I added one more peer, and that particular peer just got... was get, was more or less, I guess, getting full tables. Um, so the only way to fix in that that I could saw, you know, see other than getting rid of MicroTig as a whole was to adopt a route reflector. Um, I haven't implemented it yet because other problems came up, but um, I kind of saw that as a, well, this I can kill multiple birds with one stone. You know, route reflectors are more scalable. Um, I was thinking that, you know, w once you're virtualizing your routers, um, why not just make a separate VM per connection you know i can't say per peer because on an exchange i can only have one router for one ip address but i'll have many peers but the separate vm for every upstream that i have and then two of them so i have redundancy and so on because it doesn't cost me any more other than a software license um of 100 bucks it doesn't cost me any more compute really it's still routing them all through in software anyway so why not make a bunch of them, other than the complexity of networking them all together? Well, in comes the route reflector to kind of work on that. And then I thought, well, the route reflector, I can have a non-microtech route reflector, you know, free-range routing, something like that. And um, then I could do all of my route filtering there. So a other than a microtech sending back out the same routes that it's received in from a peer it wouldn't ever get the other routes it shouldn't have because the route reflector would only ever send it the routes that it should have so 
to my IX peer, my route reflector would have only ever sent it. My prefix is that I intend to go to the exchange. You know, I still have the route, you know, route filters on the maker tick, but um, figured it'd be kind of a a way to kind of put some of that microtick route reflector or no, uh, microtick uh, route filter problems in check because another device is the device doing the filtering. Hmm. I mean, you get uh, kind of built built in suspenders. You know, if if free range router ever uh, decides that it wants to do something weird and send you know, something probably inane or not useful like the eight dot range um you know you could microtick might catch that and filter it out as well so you know having second like having lots and lots of different ways to block things from going out is probably not an imprudent thing i i know my uh route filters on my routers are probably insane just because they have multiple statements doing the same thing um and i doubt that they actually the later ones probably just i mean they're completely redundant probably pretty much but i was terrified of being that guy um even though i'm pretty certain all of my upstreams are pretty good about filtering what i send to them but yeah i it makes sense to to have multiple different systems to make certain that everything's plays right and especially going into an ix you kind of want to play you want to be a good internet citizen so sure yeah um and then you know having that route reflector there like i'm i'm still kind of torn so i got some advice to do my core in a layer 3 switch not as another chr um problem is is that you know at a layer through switch that does full routes why do i even have the microtics at that point we just do it all right there so it's going to have a limited set of routes so then what do i send there how do i send it there well you know i could shape that with the route reflector um you know i can use that to limit what actually then goes into the core um you know, how I work out the rest of the stuff in terms of, you know, which is actually the best path out. You know, maybe people don't care at that point. You know, obviously things that go to the IX have to go to the IX and IX routes would fit inside a layer, you know, a small layer three switch. And then after that, maybe people don't care which transit port they use. It just goes out one of them. They don't care. Um, I guess to be fair, as, as an eyeball, you're not worrying about port capacity so yeah you just throw your outbound out whatever port it wants to go out i suppose um but that's a pill that's a bit you know it's a bit too much different from what i've been used to so kind of going you know one step at a time without changing everything that i do at once for those and of... i don't know what's broken yeah for those of us who aren't very familiar with IBGP and route reflectors. How does the route reflector filter down what you can get? I'm. I guess I'm. I'm maybe missing something there. Uh, meaning, well, so 
um, different platforms may have their own unique ways of doing things, but a, a widely supported way should be um, working with communities. So I would tag every route I learned via Transit 1, Transit 2. Okay. Um, well, I guess Transit 1A, Transit 1B, Transit 2A, Transit 2B, and okay. exchange with different communities. And then the reflector then says, you know, I allow or disallow different communities. So it could say, you know, I know the best way to the world, and I'll tell my borders the best way to the world, but I'll only give the core the routes that have the community that indicate they were learned from the IX. Because those are the ones that matter the most, and so it would just then only send those. Um, okay. There are... Different vendors have different ways of doing route compression and various other tricks to limit the size of the table uh, by taking out things that don't really matter. Um, or if there's, like... Um, I think Arista is good at this for some of their smaller route capacity devices. Um, and from what I understand, you know, I'm sure some of the will correct me if I'm wrong. If they see, you know, four slash 24s with the same next hop, then they'll just insert a slash 22 of that next hop. It doesn't change how any bits would ever flow, but it takes three routes out of the table. So they just wash, rinse, repeat. You know, if there's, you know, drop the things that are obviously not going to, you know, doesn't matter one way or the other, and then go from there. Um, I don't know if any of these other platforms support anything like that. I just know that, you know, some of the Layer 3 Switch guys employ things like that. I that's a lot of memory if you're trying to do that all in like an ASIC. So yeah, it makes sense. Or, you know, smaller processor with small bits of memory. So yeah, it makes sense. Okay. All right. I guess I was, I, I, I must've been a little bit confused about what you were talking about. And so that makes sense. Yeah. It sounds like a good plan and makes things pretty simple. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a, and then like, you know, on my, you know, border core route reflector thing, you know, you have a couple of route reflectors at different places and then they just, you know, keep throwing on cores as, and borders as needed. And, you know, everybody works with a much simpler BGP configuration set aside from the initial complexity. Um, it's just a couple of peerings and then away you go. Um, but it, yeah, it, uh, I guess as I said earlier, it might not solve everything because if my Microtech router is letting everything through, then it would probably let through anything I learned on the exchange back out to the exchange. So I may still have the same problem. It may just be less. Yeah. <laughs> It, uh, which actually, it may be worse because then somebody's going to trip on a full table coming through and shut me down. Finally send a, you know, I think this other period had a 3,000 limit, 
or prefix limit. If I had sent two thousand, they would let me through. And at which point, then I'm. <laughs> yeah, then there's I'm, some real problems. I'm actively leaking routes, and now I am a problem. So maybe I shouldn't do this. You know, fail fast and fail hard. Take the Elon Musk route. <laughs> fail epically, at least. Um, speaking of failure, there was some. Uh, you had some fun runs with uh, ransomware and wiping everything up. You were alluding it, to. Uh, it uh, had and having and will have. Um, all tenses of the verb apply. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. it, uh, so it is unsure as to how it got in. There are a couple theories out there floated by not just myself, but, um, people smarter than I, um, I have spoken with the FBI about this particular issue and, it's a variant that they're not really familiar with. Um, they didn't say they didn't. It just it's just not one that you know they recognized and had an easy easy way out of. Um, and if you Google for it, you pretty much only find one thread on the computer. Uh, so it's it's kind of unique. Uh, but um, yeah, so uh, somehow. A non-internet connected Windows server. Oh, caveat. I did not build this environment. I was just tasked with maintaining it. And as I mentioned earlier, brought my Proxmox stuff. And I was already in the process of moving away from it. But um, they got to a non-internet connected Windows server that was serving up iSCSI LUNs to VMware hosts and uh ransomwareed it Oof. um they also got a couple other things but they're still working so i like yeah they got they got a domain controller but active directory still works dns is still serving i can't manage it but it's still serving dhcp still works all right, so I can migrate off of it, but it's not really affecting operations at the moment. <laughs> so I don't care. Yeah. Um, and there may be some other devices, but yeah. So it's been uh, it's been interesting because it's like, well, if they got to a non-internet connected server, something else is compromised. So. It's pretty much a, thankfully I already started, as I mentioned, stand up entirely new everything. If I have data, I can't, I can migrate, migrate that data, then set everything on fire. Because once they're in like that, it's like, how much time are you going to spend trying to figure out all the stuff? Like I was already rebuilding it, so. From stuff uh, that you'd been that just been sitting around for months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it actually, uh, this was somebody else's project, and then, uh, you know, 
we have the servers for a few months and then I'm, you know, my goal was, you know, I'll, I'll go in and I'll build the first set of Proxmox configs so that the guys see what it's supposed to look like and then I'll let them do the rest. Well, I walked in one day and I'm working through all of it after it, it took them way too long to upgrade firmware and things. And I'm looking at the servers and I'm like, this. there's a label on the front over like a drive bay slot that's like, it's, it's not really a drive bay, it's just like a blank um, in the chassis. And I'm like, how many drives do I want? This is an eight bay chassis. I wanted 10 bay chassis. Check the order. Sure enough, we ordered 10 bay chassis. So then all the work that had been done on those servers to that point, uh, pretty much thrown away because we got to get new ones. And, you know, they were kind enough to send us placements you know we had to swap like ram and, and cpus over um but then you gotta start all over upgrading all the firmware and everything all over again setting it all up and then by the time all that had happened uh we had gotten to the point where uh the guy whose project it was um he was let go so then it's back to my project again so the <laughs> And I don't have enough projects, so, uh, yeah, it kind of got slow. I hear you, bro. But, but, um, I intend, uh, on a future, uh, episode to have a bit more in-depth security conversations, uh, with smarter people. Um, but, um, I guess kind of some highlights, um... Do not use Windows Server as an iSCSI file store. There's no reason. Or NFS. Anything else that you could use. Linux, BSD, Solaris. SolarWinds. Any of those things. <laughs> Probably don't use that. Uh, <laughs> but um, if you could use anything other than Windows... Be a file server, um, whether it's individual files or you know iSCSI or whatever. Do that um, because the ransomware people said that yeah you know you have four to five computers. No, I have way more than that. There's like forty VMs. It's just that most of them are Linux, so they're just completely blind to that. They didn't even know anything about any of the VMware boxes, right? It's it's just, or any of the, any of the VMs that are sitting directly on local storage. None of that was affected. It was just, yeah. Well, I mean, there was a couple of the you know of the Windows boxes because they were connected, but like, it's like, but, so use Linux as your storage when you can. It's just more secure. Um, but as I rebuild things, one of my problems is, okay, since I'm building this from scratch, now it's, I mean, it's already partially my fault because I was the one running the network, but this will be totally my fault because I will have built it and ran it. 
Um, security, firewalls, access to things. It's like, okay, well, we'll, you know, things perhaps were a little bit more loose than they should be in the old environment. But how far can you really go? You know, one of our applications, it, you know, it runs a, a you know, full, full client on the, on the workstation and talks MS SQL back to the server. So you have to leave MS SQL open. That's probably not a good idea. So you limit it to just the PC, you know, just the IPs that you need to access it. Except those are the employees who are the workstations who are going to cause something to come in in the first place. It's my computer. My computer is not the one that's, you know, getting Trojans loaded up and firing things into the network. It would be a CSR or a finance person or a graphics designer or, you know, somebody who's not IT centric. So what good? I mean, it's better than a stick in the eye. I get it, but how far can you really go mm -hmm. in firewalling the threats? I mean, you can firewall off the public internet, but you can't firewall off your employees from the servers that they have to use. So what do you do? I mean, Microtech firewalling, well, you know, firewall 1.0 you know, just a simple ACL, be it on Cisco or Microtech or Viata or whatever. It's just source, destination, IP, and port. And, you know, TCP, UDP, you know, other things like that. But that's all you can do. And it's surely, you know, if you have to allow an activity for a good use, the activity will also be allowed for a bad use. So what do you do? Well, there's plenty of people out there, I'm certain, who have their answers and or would be more than happy to sell you a solution there, Mike. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and, like, you know, um, I'm sure we'll get some comments mm -hmm. uh, on this. But, uh, but you know, and I suppose the solution is, is that you'd have to get some sort of, I'm just going to throw out a bunch of vendors and not necessarily endorsing any of them. Uh Fortigate, Palo Alto, WatchGuard. Um, there's others I can't think of right now. Um, mostly because I'm not in that space. Because usually because ISPs aren't supposed to be yeah. going with fancy firewalls. But when it's their own servers, I guess you have to. Um, so I'd imagine something in that space would be appropriate. Um, or you just dump the need for the whole server. Come on, Mike. It, uh, There's more than one see, solution to this problem. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, and so you know, some people are going to say um, that's why you move everything to the cloud. But you know, then it's it's you know, then then you're just paying somebody else to have that knowledge. You know, I mean, you that may or may not be important to you, but you know, the, the problem still has to be solved. You're just not paying somebody else to solve it for you. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a lot easier to um, find somebody like that, though, to pay than to hire somebody in your area. It, uh, and, uh, and, you know, cloud is maybe not as secure or as resilient 
as we all think. Um, one of the ransomware kind of expert guys I was talking to um, this past week um, had had said that even though we're not running local exchange, um, that there could still be some kind of connection to the problems that Microsoft is having uh, on some of the calls. You know, you know, he didn't cite who said it, but he said on some of, of the CISA calls, and CISA, for those that don't know, is the uh, is the arm of the Department of Homeland Security here in the United States that focuses on uh, cyber security, cyber warfare type stuff. Had um, said that uh, you know someone on that call was mentioning that uh, that the problems that Microsoft is experiencing with Exchange right now is is actually much more pervasive than is currently being let on, uh, mostly due to a lack of knowledge. Um, not so much ill intent, but, um, you know, that there was, you know, little surprise to be had if, uh, you know, if 365 was compromised, if Azure AD was compromised, you know, we're connected into Azure AD to our local. That's, that could be how it came in. Yeah. Especially with how rare my kind is, you know, there's no end to what all is going on. You know, I think they said that there's estimated that there's ten different organizations that have their hooks into Microsoft at the moment. Yeah, or no, you know, I can't back any of that up. It's just some guy told me it, but mm-hmm. you know, where he said he got it from sounds like people that know what they're talking about. Yeah, or the cloud could escape the cloud. Uh, as as we saw in Strasbourg or Strasbourg um, this last week as well, but um, yeah, that uh, you know you know the cloud could be on fire. Yeah, let's do the close out, Mikey. If uh, folks want to get a hold of you out on the internet, how do we uh, how do we do that? Um, apparently, what seems to be effective is putting ransomware on my servers. <laughs> but I don't recommend it. Fast, huh? I don't okay. recommend it though. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, Tom, I'll just leave that hanging out there. Tommy, if folks want to get a hold of you out on the internet, how would you have them do that? Uh, I got a west a website that I just had to renew the um, uh, license the domain for um, lostcreek.tech. Uh, you can email me at tommy at lostcreek.tech, uh, or you can join up the you can give the brothers with a couple bones and uh, get on there and then it will be a race to see who can answer your question that uh, I am starting to lose Dagnabbit I cannot keep up with some of the people here and all the very smart people so don't hire a consultant I've been watching. you've been doing uh, you've been doing a great job but Tommy also does a little bit of consulting here and there are you still uh, yeah I, 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 do, I do I do a little bit um, my bank decided to close down and um apparently it's a little bit hard for a new business to get a bank account um or at least i've been having some difficulty with it um maybe it's my co- my partner yeah i don't know what the problem is and i don't know why it's been in such a pain in the neck but i'm going this saturday i'm going to m- on monday down to a 
credit union to get an account set up. So, um, so there's a lot of people who, um, if you you can get work from me, and I will just not charge you for it because it's too much of a pain. So, <laughs> well, I know a guy that has some ransomware problems. But, uh, there you go. He could probably use some help. <laughs> really, I wish I had knew anything about system admin. I spent all of Saturday last week uh, screaming at a server. So, um, yeah. Now, I, I that's that's about the best way to get a hold of me, Brothers Wisp, um, or shoot me an email. Very cool. You can find me at gregsoul.com. I still blog occasionally there. And uh, patreon.com forward slash Brothers Wisp. You find me in the uh, patron only Slack, especially if you DM me. It's a really good way to get a hold of me. Uh, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Tommy. And uh, I guess we'll see you guys next time. Take care. Feel better, guys. What you are missing. Ideas and some good comedy given. If you missed the show already, don't worry. You're forgiven.